I pray that we would understand our calling tonight. Lord, I pray we would just get a little bit deeper with you. God, I pray for the, for the selfish heart in here who's only concerned about themselves and about how happy they are and about where they want to go in life. And Lord, they're just using you as a crutch. God, I pray that they would truly see who you are to them. God, I pray that for the person who's struggling with sin, but they're a believer in you, God, and they love you with all their heart. God, I pray that you would just rescue them from that and heal them from all the wounds that it created. God, I pray just for the heart that's hurting, that doesn't know, is confused, it's in a dark place. Lord, I pray that you would just be a light to them tonight. Lord, they would just feel peace for the first time in a long time. God, feel comforted by you as our Heavenly Father. Just feel a warm embrace by you. Father, I pray that your word would just be the pinnacle of tonight. Just everything that this night is about is your word. God, I pray that it wouldn't stop here. That God, it would just start a fire in our hearts and it would just be growing every single day. Lord, just a passion to be able to read your word and to hear what you would have to say to us. God, I pray that it would never die. And I pray that we would just read it for what it is, and that's your word, and we would trust you with all of our hearts. God, I ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so we're starting this new series called uh, Taboo. Um, and I guess the, the purpose behind it is to talk about things that we're actually dealing with and um, not just, you know, talk about these lofty uh, church ideas, like these churchy words and all this kind of stuff. It's just kind of getting on a real level and talk about things that we actually deal with, like, like sex and drugs and suicide and depression and all these other kind of different things. Homosexuality, there's a lot of them. Uh, I think we're going to be dealing with about six of them. So um, anyways, tonight, I just, uh, we're going to start off with something and uh, just to let you know, I feel really awkward already, as it is. And when I start talking about it, y'all may start to feel a little awkward, even though y'all probably feel less awkward because y'all are with people. I'm by myself up here, you know what I'm saying? And I'm the one talking. Y'all have to listen. So uh, we're going to be talking about sex, you know, or S-E-X for the little kids. And, uh, you know, that's what we're going to be talking about. And it's kind of, you know, uh, we all feel awkward. <laughs> there we go. Okay, everybody say it with me. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. I don't laugh if someone would actually did it. I just thought about who, who would actually do that. I wouldn't have been over. <laughs> but anyways, um, so uh, we live in a world that's completely saturated by sex. Almost every TV show that we watch, every movie that we watch, every song that we listen to has something to do with sex. TV shows we watch, it doesn't even matter if it's, if it's just about everyday normal life, you know, just a little sitcom, or it's about, you know, crime, or whatever it may be. There's always a little hook in there, where, you know, it has a little scene in there about, you know, sex, because it has to keep you interested somehow. In fact, songs are that way too, and uh, the top, or the 92, 92 songs out of the top 100 Billboard songs are about sex. That's 92% of the top songs that all of us in here like to listen to, probably, are about sex. 
In fact, another thing is, is romance novels and movies, you know, like Nicholas Sparks, all those kind of different things, is like multi-million or maybe even billion dollar industry. And a lot of the times in the movies, as you will watch, has something to do with sex. And most of the time, they are not married. In fact, some of the movies actually has a plot where it's like, this is not true love, you know, what I have with my husband or my wife, you know, and all of a sudden there's like this little spark between this man and a woman, and, you know, just to seal the deal, the fact that they're truly in love, and, you know, it's, it's this true love, they have a scene where they do something they're not supposed to be doing, but we, we recognize that as that's real love, that's intimacy. We're, our society is just overly saturated by sex. A lot of statistics say that 30% of women view pornography on a regular basis. And even greater than that, 70% of men view pornography. And that's not to say that this is 70% of men have, that's 70% of men do. In fact, an even greater percentage than that is 100% of the men that these people asked have viewed it before. That's 100%. If you want to sell anything, if you want, you know, you just have a product out there, you just, you know, think about being an entrepreneur, if you involve sex into it, you will automatically make it a better seller according to what we as Americans buy. Another statistic is by the time a woman or a, a girl, female, is 16 years old, the average, that's the average age for a girl to lose her virginity, and which is more shocking than the males at 17 is the average age for a male to lose their virginity. And by the time a female reaches 23, the average age for 23-year-old women, or the average percentage of women that are 23, 95% of women who are 23 have had sex already. And 97% of 25-year-old males have had sex already. And I was reading an article in this, this woman said, this woman said that, that sex is not really a taboo topic anymore. In fact, it's vastly uh, accepted, and the notion of saving your sex, I mean, saving yourself for sex until marriage is a past thing. It's, it's not even a thing anymore. You shouldn't even have to do it. And she was talking about how, you know, divorce rates has just skyrocketed. It may just be that because these people save themselves until marriage, that that's the reason why they may have gotten a divorce. Because, in other words, you can't really buy a car without a test drive. That's kind of their, um, that's kind of their reasoning or their logic behind it. And so... This is just, it kind of breaks my heart, to be honest with you. I kind of struggled getting through those statistics. But when I was reading them, they were, I was just soaking them up. I mean, it's super hard to get through them because every single one of us has been either directly or indirectly affected by sex in some way. Maybe, especially teenagers in the locker room and, and at school. And, and when you're, you know, when you're a young child, I remember... I remember listening to music. I, I've always really been a big fan of rap and, and R&B and stuff like that. 
And I just remember when I was little, I would, I would listen to songs to my friends. I wouldn't know what they meant then, but I can still remember the words, and I can actually sing them in my head. And a lot of us are that way. We, we enjoy music in our, in our spare time, or when it's silent, we like to have music playing in the background, but we don't really pay attention to the lyrics all that much until we memorize them, and then, you know, we actually memorize them, we sing them to ourselves or whatever. Well, that's what I was when I was a kid, and I still, I can look back on those moments and think, I, that, that whole song was about sex, and I had no idea. You know, it was, it's just, it's, it's really crazy. And even when kids are real small, we encourage them to have a boyfriend or a girlfriend. You know, have a Valentine's or, oh, you know, how many girlfriends do you have, little Johnny? I got five. You know, it's, oh, that's so cute. And it's like, that doesn't even make any, you know what I'm saying? It's just like, from the time we're little until the time we, we graduate high school, it's just like, it's constant. Every single day, it, it's, it's something brought up about sex. And it's not a bad thing. Sex is not a bad thing, but we have made it a bad thing. And tonight we're going to be in the book of 1 Corinthians in chapter 6. And just a little bit about uh, the church of Corinth. They're located like in the Mediterranean Sea area, like next to Greece and all this kind of stuff. But where they're located is actually pretty perfect for like business and stuff like that. So, like, the Mediterranean Sea has really choppy seas and stuff like that. So people would actually go the lengths of getting their boat on land and transporting the boat on land and stopping halfway in Corinth and then continuing on onto the other side of their little peninsula that they live on. And so their, their location created a lot of foot traffic. It created a lot of people coming in and out, trade and all this other kind of stuff. They're financially really well off, and there's this really... Uh, diverse ethically or ethnically, I'm sorry, speaking, you know, black people, white people, tan people, yellow people, all these other kind of people, however you say that, ethnicity, there's, it just has a lot of those people in it, okay? So I was just thinking about that. It doesn't seem too much different in America. The setting that we're talking about, it does not seem much different than we are here in America. We have a a really diverse ethnicity. We have a lot of money. There's a lot of people coming in and out. There's, there's all kinds of stuff going on. In fact, the city of Corinth, it was so corrupt after a while. They started, they started doing, because of all this foot traffic, they, they had a lot of prostitution, a lot of like bars and a lot of drinking, a lot of, pretty much a lot of sin. And to be morally corrupt became synonymous with being Corinthianized. So, like, if you were, if you were like, really bad, they are like, hey, this Corinthianized. Like, he'd been living in Corinth too long. Like, that's how bad it was. In fact, they had a temple for the Greek goddess of love named Aphrodite. And they had 1,000-plus women who lived and worked there. And in every single evening, those women would come down from that temple and offer their services to any male who was willing for free. That's how bad it was. And so that's just a little bit of background. And we're going to start reading in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 now, because I feel really uncomfortable for some really weird reason. I usually don't feel very uncomfortable to talk about anything. I'm serious. I don't really know why what's going on with me right now. But anyways... 
1 Corinthians 6, verse 12. You say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. And even though I'm not allowed to do anything, I must, I must not become a slave to, to anything. You say, food was made for the stomach, and stomach for the food. And this is true, though, sometime, though someday God will do away with both of them. But you can't say that our bodies were made for sexual morality. They were made for the Lord, and the Lord cares about our bodies. And God will raise us from the dead by his power, just as he raised our Lord from the dead. Don't you realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? Should a man take his body, which is part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? Never. And don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her? For the scriptures say the two are united into one, but the person who is joined to the Lord in one spirit with him. But the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and, give, and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. You must honor God with your body. So Paul starts out with this. He was quoting the Corinthian church. And their biggest struggle, the Corinthian church, was parting from their old ways. And a lot of, in, in 1 Corinthians, you'll see a lot of Paul talking about, you have a new life. You are a new creature. There, you are new. You don't do the same things you used to do. And they would often justify what they were doing by saying, I'm allowed to do anything. And they were correct in saying that, partly, because if you are a believer, no matter what you do, your sin will be forgiven. You can do anything on earth, and if you are a believer and you have been, you have been saved by Christ, you will be forgiven for that sin. But Paul goes back to him and says, but not everything is beneficial. You see, what happens is when you go into sin, even as a believer, you are rendering yourself useless at that moment. You are diving into something that Jesus Christ saved you from. You, were, you believed in Christ so that you could be free from that bondage, so that you can be free from that sin, yet we're going back into it, and it is the only thing that could ever separate us from Christ. In Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 37 or uh, 35, it starts talking about, it's like, what can separate me from the love of God? No ruler, no this, no that. It starts going this huge long list about nothing could ever separate me from his love, but he never mentioned sin. Sin is the only thing that could ever separate you from God in the first place. It's the only thing that can keep you separated from God. And so when you dive into sin, even as a believer, you're, being, you're uh, creating your vulnerability to the sin. It's sapping you of your joy and your peace and your usefulness for the gospel. So if you really think about it, if you want to go into sin and stay in sin and, and be in this kind of sin and live in, the, in this sin, you might have to question your relationship with Christ in the first place. Because you are going to the very thing that he saved you from, and since you are a new creation, he changed your heart. Now you want him more than you want sin, but your lifestyle is showing that you want sin more than you want him. You might not be a believer in the first place, but nevertheless, you can do anything you want and be forgiven for it, but it is not always beneficial. And he quotes him again and says, and he says I'm allowed to do anything but... I must not become a slave 
to anything. And what's crazy is sexual sin can enslave you quicker than any other sin. And we'll talk about that more in a minute. But when you go back into sin willingly and you continue to make a habit of it, and you, it's not broken, it's every single day or every single time you think about it, you go back into that sin, or you think about that sin more than you think about Christ, what you're doing is, is you're making yourself a slave to the very thing that Christ set you free from. You only wanted Christ, you only needed Christ, because these things in this world were holding you captive. These things in this world were holding you in chains, and you did not like that. It felt like you were suffocating in your sin. You were miserable. You did not like life. You didn't know what was going on. You don't know what your next step was. You don't know your future. You don't know where you're going after you die. All these things are a question when you live in sin, and you don't really know what's going on. You don't know who Christ is. And then all of a sudden, he offers himself to you so that you can be freed from this sin so that you can know God, your creator, and be forgiven of everything bad that you ever did and get rid of the weight of the guilt and the shame that you have. Yet we wanted him for that purpose, yet we're going to turn from him and we're going to say, but I can do anything. Can I go back to this? God, can I please go back to this thing that, that made me a slave? Can I please go back to this thing that made me miserable? Why would you do that? It makes no sense. So, yes, you're, you will be forgiven if you sin, but it's not beneficial, and it will continue to wrap you up in chains because you're willingly putting them on yourself. And it is not okay, if you're wondering, to be a grace abuser. It is not okay for you to just say, okay, Christ, I want your forgiveness, and I want you to continue to hold these chains off of me while I go do my own thing. You just continue to hold those chains because I want to go do my own thing without the chains, but that's not how it works. You don't go into sin without the chains. Sin is always a loss, always, always, always. It will always do something bad. It's never good. And then he goes on to say, he goes on to quote them again because they continue to want to justify what they are doing. They said that food is made for the body and the body was made for food. Huh. What's that? I, it seems like what they're saying is, is that they're trying to make a little analogy here between the body and sex. Because the body wants sex. So that's what the body is going to get. And sex was made for the body, and the body was made for sex, just like food is made for the body, and the body is made for food. But Paul says, whoa, 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 whoa. See, here, the difference between that is, is that the food and the body will both pass away eventually. God will do away with both. They are both temporary. The relationship between your body and food is a temporary relationship. But the relationship between you and God, it's eternal. It's forever. And that sin of sexual morality is separating you from Him, from your Creator, from eternity in life into eternity in death. And it says that the body, said so you can't say that the body was made for sexual morality. In fact, it was made for the Lord. If you're wondering, if you have ever wondered what your body was made for, why you were created, why you are here on earth in Oxford, Alabama at this time of night, whatever it may be, it is for the Lord. 
Your body was made for the Lord. In fact, it's not just a body. Your body is not just a body, just, you know, physical, human body. And it doesn't just, and sex is just not biological. It doesn't just happen because it's, it's natural. There's much more to it than just a physical thing. We're not monkeys. We're not a bunch of animals who are just doing it so that we can recreate and, and have, you know, have our genes spread throughout the jungle, okay? It's much more than that. It's much more than that to humans because we are made in God's image. There's a difference between us and animals. It's not strictly biological. There's emotions involved. Every part of us is involved in that process. And your body is not just a body. In fact, if you are a Christian, your body is part of Christ's body. Six chapters over in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says that we make up the body of Christ. Some of us are hands, some of us are feet, some of us are eyes, and some of us are ears. And we all have a different function in that body. The feet walk, the hands grab things, the eyes see, the ears hear. And I want to point out something here too. Because you may feel like the part of the body that you're a part of, your function And your purpose is not so good. But I want to point out something. The Bible says that the parts of the body that we consider the weakest and least significant are actually the most necessary. That's the way it describes it. And so if you feel, and the parts of the body that that we feel most, uh, you know, it's like dishonorable, those are the parts we offer the most protection. Hey, you try sitting down without a butt. You know what I'm saying? Am I right? I I ain't tried it, but all I'm saying is it's important. You can't sit down without it, okay? But that's just, yeah, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have went there. I just, my mind starts going. But anyways, if you feel like you're you're just not, you just don't have a purpose and that that you're not, you don't matter. You matter. Your body matters. What you do with your body matters. It is a part of the body of Christ. And don't you know that when you, as a part of the body of Christ, join yourself to somebody else sexually, you become one with that person. Genesis chapter 2 verse 24 says the two will become one flesh, signifying the first marriage. Sex was meant for marriage and marriage alone. And see, it makes perfect sense when you look at it in this view because if you really think about it, you can't become one with multiples. Whenever you give yourself to somebody, a part of you goes with them. It cannot be casual. We may you know, make it out to be a casual thing, like it just doesn't matter, like it's just for tonight, or like it's, you know, we're going to get married anyway, so why not, and it feels good, so let's do it, or whatever. We, we make it out to be so many things. Let's sing about it, you know, let's laugh about it, let's make jokes about it. There's all kinds of things we make about it, but one thing it is not, and we know in our minds and in our hearts that it is not casual. It is the most intimate thing you could ever do. You becoming one with another 
person. Your souls are literally mingling. You will never be closer to somebody else than in that moment. Yet, we treat it so casually. You see, the person who is joined with Christ is one spirit with Christ. And whenever we dive into sin, we are bringing him with us. And the fact that we are one with Christ and we're making ourselves one with somebody in sin should make us tremble. Just the thought of us bringing the one who saved us from sin into something so enslaving, so captivating as sex should just, should just make us so fearful. And we should be in such reverence of the fact that we are one with Him. And it says, should a man join himself with a prostitute and be, become one with her? Never. That in that word in the Bible is the strongest negative that a Greek would have used. That should never be so. You should never let yourself into that. But I want to point out something here. The fact that there are people in here that did not save themselves from marriage or are married and did not, do it, did not save themselves before marriage. But I want to encourage you. The fact that Christ offers healing and the fact that Christ offers forgiveness so that your purity can be restored. The earthly consequence will stay. The fact that you can never get that back, that will stay. And I'm sorry. I know that hurts. And I hate to bring it up. I hate to mention it. But I promise you, Christ can overcome any obstacle. There is nothing that can stand in the way of him healing you or forgiving you or wiping your slate clean in his eyes. And his eyes are the only ones that really matter. The eyes down here, the eyes on earth, your own eyes, because sometimes we're our own worst enemy, those eyes don't matter. According to God, we are clean. We are freshly cleaned. Our slate is wiped clean. It's, it's white as snow, though it was red as crimson. We can be forgiven no matter what our past looks like. And some of us in here have given ourselves to Christ, yet we kind of fell back. We got weak. Our faith got weak and, and we didn't believe. We hadn't read the Bible. We haven't been spending intimate time with God in prayer and we slipped up. And we slipped up. Don't be discouraged. Because like I said earlier, by the time a man is 25, 90% of males who are 25 have had sex. Who do you think needs the gospel? And who do you think you can relate to now? Relate to the struggle, relating to what they've gone through, relating to the guilt, relating to the shame. And how much better can you relate to them and say, I promise you God can forgive you because he forgave me. And I promise you, you have no idea what I've done. 
I don't deserve the forgiveness, yet he gave it to me anyway. That person will take it better from you than they would a virgin any day. Because they don't know what that person has been through. So don't be discouraged. But lastly, it says run from sexual sin. And we have a really good picture of this in the Bible of a man named Joseph. See, he was sold into slavery, and eventually he became a servant in that, in that castle or whatever it was of the Pharaoh in Egypt. And he was just cleaning floors one day, and the Pharaoh's wife really had the hots for him. And so he's just scrubbing them floors with that toothbrush, and she comes in and she just, I don't know, she came on to me. You know what I'm saying? That's what, that's what happened to him. And so she, she was kind of wanting it from him. And he started running away. He took off because he was really faithful to the Pharaoh. Like he knew that that was his boss and he knew that God had placed him there for a reason, for a purpose. And so he just took off running. And the, the woman grabbed his, his shirt or cloak or whatever dress. I don't know what they wore back then, but apparently it just comes off really easy because she grabbed it and the Velcro just ripped off and he just, he took off naked in the middle of the Egyptian streets. Okay. And they were just wondering like, what's going on here? And the, and the wives, oh, and so the Pharaoh fires the dude on the spot. I'm surprised he didn't die, but obviously God was in control of the whole situation. So he ran from it. And so that just gives us like the negative side of things. It's not always going to be that we're going to run out in the streets naked when we run from it. But what I'm saying is, is that even if that happens, God is in control. Because what, what happened after that was, is that Joseph became second in command in Egypt to save his people. And so when you run from sin, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7 says that Paul says, I trained myself like an athlete so that I could abstain from the things that I, that I should. He has to train himself. Okay, this is getting really deep here. Listen to me. We are saved by faith alone. God loves us regardless of what we do. When we put our faith in Him, it has nothing to do with our works or what we did to clean up before we got there. It was by grace that He saved us through faith. Our faith is what saves. But in our faith comes actions. Out of our faith flows good works. Out of our faith flows a new life, a new creation. We are born again. The change is so radical that it's considered to be born again. You have a new life. Nothing about you is the same. And so when you go into this new life, you're going to have to make some changes. And God's going to call you to step out of the boat in faith. God's going to call you to go up on the mountain. God's going to call you to do some things, and he's going to require you to put some effort in. Because he wants you to choose to love him. He wants you to continue to grow in faith so that you'll be more fruitful for the gospel. And so you are going to have to train yourself for a lot of things. And in this instance, you're going to have to train yourself to look away, men. We have to train ourselves to look away. We have to train ourselves to, to just go to a different thought when that thought gets in there. We have to train ourselves to just... Go, go somewhere else, talk to a buddy, call somebody. We have to train ourselves for those things. And we have to train ourselves not to get ourselves in the bad situation in the first place. We know not to go to a strip club. You know what I'm saying? Like, don't step foot near the strip club. That's all I'm saying. That's a really 
big, like, extreme example, but all I'm saying is that you can put that on really small examples, too, and know that you shouldn't be in a situation that you know you're going to be having a struggle. You're going to have to train yourself for those things. And women, and I, I, I shake to say this a little bit, too, but all I know is that the romance novels and the, and the movies and, and all that kind of stuff, sometimes that can get a little carried away. And sometimes we can, you, you can find yourself wishing that your marriage was like that or wishing, I wish I had a man that was perfect like that or I wish that so on and so forth, X, Y, Z. We have to train ourselves not to be that way. We have to train ourselves not to want those things. Because those, the movies make it seem really nice whenever the two become one and they're in love, regardless of what kind of sinful situation it may be in or whether they're drunk or not. We have to train ourselves not to want those things. And he says, run from sexual morality. And he says, for sexual morality is a sin against your own body. No other sin affects the body like this one does. Sexual sin, okay, all sins are equal as far as when you get to heaven, guilty, not guilty, white, black. There is no, you know, like, well, I did a little bit, you know, I didn't go all the way. No, it's, it is white or black. All sins are equal in that regard, but not all sins are same. Here on earth, we suffer consequences. A little white lie, although it is really bad when you get up to heaven, that might be the only thing you did. A little white lie down here, just a little slap on the wrist, okay? You murder somebody, you're getting yourself thrown in jail. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's earthly consequences to that. And as far as sexual sin goes, no other sin affects the body like this one does. When you give yourself into that, whether you're married and doing it in the right way or you're you're not married, or yeah, you're not married and you're doing it the wrong way. Sex has a way of getting up here in your mind. And it has a way of dealing with your heart. It deals with the whole body. It is not just physical. It is not just emotional. It is not just spiritual. It is everything. In fact, this Two becoming one flesh, the husband and the wife becoming one, is an earthly picture of what Christ did for us. In Ephesians chapter 5, it shows that, that, the, that Christ is the head and that, and that we are the church, and that the husband is, is Christ and that the wife is the church, and that the husband shall love the wife as Christ loved the church. And when the two become one, it shows that Christ and his church become one. We are co-heirs with Christ. We are glorified with him. We get to be heirs with him when we go to heaven. We get to judge the angels. That's how much we become one with Christ. And so no other sin affects the body like this one. There is no other sin that will enslave your mind than this one. There's no other sin that is more likely to take you away and keep you away from Christ than this one. So run from it. Be very aware. Be very cautious about this sin. Do not let yourself go too far. Know the consequences. 
And then it goes on to say, don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? Your body was made for the Lord. Your body is a part of the body of Christ. Not only that is, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. God lives inside of you, literally. When you become one with Christ, the Holy Spirit comes inside of you, and you are forever connected with Christ, and your body is now the temple. We should take care of this temple. And we should be aware of the fact that He is inside of us. We should be aware of the fact that He wants us to do certain things for our good. He wants us to stay away from certain things for our good. And so, the thing is, and I, I just don't know how this will come off, but the Bible says that you don't belong to yourself. If you think about it in this way, your body, if you have given it to Christ, is not yours anymore. So you have no right to treat it that way. You have no right over your own body anymore because when you gave yourself to Christ, when you surrendered yourself, you counted the cost. You knew that before you did this, you knew there was going to be a lifelong commitment and you knew that you were going to have to follow the Holy Spirit. You knew that God was going to call you to do things like love Him so much that it looks like hate in comparison to your mother, to your wife, to your father, to your, to your sons, to your daughters, to your friends, to your children. God's going to call you to do these things. You counted the cost, so you have no right to treat your body that way. Your body is made for the Lord and is part of Christ and is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And it's not yours anymore because you were bought at a high price. Christ gave his body on the cross, nailed the sins to it so that our body might be saved from the sin that was bringing us to death. Why would you want to go back? Why would you want to go back? He gave himself for us. He didn't have to come down. Yet he paid the ultimate price for us by dying on the cross so that our bodies might be saved so that when we pass from this life into the next that we might live with him forever and so what should you do with this body that he so gloriously and graciously saved you should glorify God in your body the ultimate calling of a Christian is to glorify God and everything you do, lift Him up. And every single place you go is so that people can see Him inside of you. It's so that you can be a light and salt to the earth, so that you can bring good news to those who need good news. And so what should you do with your body? You should bring glory to God in your body. And you should run from sexual sin. But like I said earlier, there is forgiveness and there is healing and your slate can be wiped clean. 
It's just truly amazing what Christ did for us on the cross and the warnings He gives us in Scripture to keep us away from the things that so easily entangles us. So if God has put something on your heart, I want you to understand that if you come down here, it doesn't necessarily mean you're struggling with sexual sin. Because I know myself, I just, I just reading this, and I'm just like, glorify God in your body. And it just made me think of so many things that I could be doing or not doing so that God could be more glorified in my body. It also made me realize that I'm a human. It helped me to see that I've made mistakes in the past, but that His grace covered that, my sin, even more. As much sin as I had, His grace was there even more. And it just humbled me. And so I don't want you to think that if you're coming down here, everybody else is going to be like, you know, that person is struggling with sexual sin. No, it's not that way. Not even close. God can deal with your heart about a ton of different things with His Word, even if it is about one specific thing. So if God is dealing with your heart, I invite you to come down here and just lay it down before Him and maybe even thank Him for paying such a high price for you because by doing that, He said you were worth it. So let me pray. God, I just want to thank you for just, I don't know, Lord, just helping us to see how beautiful you are. And God, just how the things here on this earth, God, there are so many lies God, so many people are telling us that, that the sins that, that we see every single day, that they're just, you know, they're good, and, and God, they're fun, and they're worth it, and they're worth living life for. God, we give ourselves to those things. May God, you help us to realize that you are even better. God, you help us to realize that when we give those things up, God, we're not going to skip a beat. There's not going to be anything missing in our lives, God. It's going to be more fulfilled than ever. God, we're going to have more peace and more fulfillment and more satisfaction and more pleasure than we ever could have with the sin in our lives. God, I pray that your word has penetrated hearts tonight. And Lord, I, I just pray that you would bring healing to those who need healing. And God, that you would just bring forgiveness and comfort and peace to those who are struggling with that right now, Lord. Whether it's with alcohol or just worry, whether it's doubt or stress or anything, gossip, God, I pray whatever is on their heart, God, I pray that you would just give them peace and Lord, just help them to just let it out, just let it go so that they can be forgiven and healed by you. Father, I ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.